Welcome to episode 203 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. And for the second show ever, Jason is sitting at the table with me and we're talking to each other face to face. Let's see how this one goes. Hey, Jason, how you doing? Good, good. Well, I uh, I feel like we're a complete violation of the buffer zone once again. <laughs> that just sounds wrong. <laughs> just freaking me out. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, well, this is the second in, in-person uh, show, so hopefully it'll it'll go well. I, li- I like... What I liked about the last show is that we were able to um, have a lot of quick back and forth without talking over each other. Yeah. You know, what happens when that ha- when we do that over Skype is your your sound, your audio stream always overdubs mine. Yeah. So I get my, the last half of what I'm trying to say, the last couple of words just completely cut off. Yeah, exactly. So, so by body language, I can cut you off. I basically hold my hand up. It's like, shut up, Jason. Let me speak. Well, I but, can tell when you're getting bored. <laughs> I can just look at you and like, yeah, he's like, his eyes is are getting glazed yawns? over. <laughs> is it the yawns? Yeah, the yawns. Your head starts nodding off. Yeah. So I, I want to ask you, um, uh, well, I guess we don't have to get into this too quickly, but one thing I wanted to bring up was um, Guyon, I, I spoke with Guyon about uh, your intermittent fasting. Rather, he brought it up with me. He's just a little concerned that you're doing it wrong. I probably am doing it wrong. Yeah, go on. Why, like, what, what does he say? How does he say it should be done? Well, the, the the thing he was concerned about was that I guess the impression you gave on, on the last show was that you were going to fast on one day and then the, on your on your fasting days, but then on your your off days, you were going to eat like twice as much. <laughs> <laughs> thereby not only completely negating your fasting day and then yeah. and then and then some and then yeah. and doing more harm so what's the what's the what's the you know what uh i think that i probably was thinking of it that way because i'm always looking for a way to cheat right you know just that just makes life easier and better mm-hmm. um but i did that for the first few days uh-huh. of it but then i realized this is probably wrong so now i'm i'm you kind of watch there's, there's actually a few different ways to do intermittent fasting. I've been doing a, a lot more reading about it. Okay. Like um, there's this there's the one called the uh, the fast five, and basically what that is is you choose a five hour time window per day, and you just eat within those five hours. Okay. So they they one of the things they say is is that breakfast basically is break fast. That's what it means. Right. So you just extend your fast. You can extend your fast till like five p.m. And then do an, uh, an eating window between 5 p.m. and 10 p.m. That's kind of one approach to do it. Mm-hmm. Another approach is like the way that Guyon's doing it, where he's skipping lunches. I don't know. I'm just I'm just kind of um, negotiating the whole territory. But we got one comment from from Matt S. that made me feel a bit stupid. Basically, he, he was, and, and it's not that he wrote a bad comment, but it's just he's saying, "Look, Justin, you're always trying these radical life changes. Why don't you just try and do something simple, just gradual?" Do this in a gradual way and just like skip breakfast or something simple. Don't try and do a whole fast a whole day or something like that. So there's probably some good words of advice. Well, that's there. that's been my contention is that you want to leverage the power of gradualism. Right. In changing your habits. You know, I know that people can cold tur- go cold turkey on things. Yeah. They, they, they completely shift their lifestyle 180 degrees 
and make these radical changes. I've always found that extremely difficult. Maybe that's because I'm a more of a habit oriented person. Like I like what I like yeah. and breaking a habit makes is, fr- is really difficult for me, but I don't actually, I don't think I'm, I'm that uncommon. I think it's much easier to make small baby steps, make small adjustments. And then pretty soon you're like, Oh, that wasn't so hard. And you go to the next step and you go to the next step. Yeah. So like when I talk about working out, you know, and, and in regards to working out, you don't want to like go from never working out to like, I'm spending two hours a day at the gym with a personal trainer, I'm doing two workouts a day. It's like yeah, just, it's too much. Just let's start with, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, a 30 minute workout three times a week. Get but you know going. what? That said, doing a fast for 24 hours, actually, it makes you feel pretty good. Like it's, it's pretty hard to do it, but it does. It's, it was like, remember I did the juice, the juicing, like yeah. that felt really good. The, the, even, but for some reason, even though it feels really good, that's not inspiring enough to make me stick at it. So I probably should be doing, try, you know, trying to go for the power of gradualism. So anyway well the one thing i would say is that i mean i i think obviously losing weight is an important goal and 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 uh, adjusting your diet to uh, to make that goal to meet that goal is yeah is, is i think positive and i think you should try and work out a little bit though I yeah mean, there's it's not just right. losing weight it's because you want to build up lean muscle mass you want to yeah. you want to improve your cardiovascular system you want to get your blood pumping get your heart pumping all those things are above and beyond yeah you know, just losing weight. Yeah, like, no. lose weight is a side effect of getting healthy, and, and part of getting healthy is actually getting up and, and and stressing your body a little bit. Yeah, no, you're right. You know, because but, well, saying because every year after the age of 32, you lose um, bone density and muscle mass. Every like well, like I don't know what's like one percent or two percent or some small amount, but it, it adds up. So by the time you're 50, you have much less lean muscle mass, much less bone density. But the way you keep that from uh, disintegrating is by uh, resistance training, so lifting weights. Okay, point taken. I, I, I do feel chastised now. Let me, <laughs> let me see. How can I turn the table? How's any food coming? No. <laughs> I think you're just, you're like an any food terrorist. <laughs> How much work did you get done on any actually, food? Actually, last, I did. I actually, I got a few hours done yesterday. Oh, did you? I okay. think, I think if I can punt on one thing, which I, uh, on the, on the, on a part of the dashboard, which I think is unnecessary. Yeah. I think we could have it uh, ready to go by uh, Sunday night. Oh, Okay. Yeah. So I think the um, the, the we, we so we have this dashboard. So people yeah. don't know that we have a dashboard where you could go in and adjust your user settings, your payout or payment information, look at your past sessions or pending sessions, um, things like that. You know, change your username or password or yeah. whatever. Right. Yeah. So um, that whole thing that's considered the ba- the dashboard. We have multiple tabs and sub tabs. So it's, it's kind of a lot going on now. The main, the main tab or the primary tab is called that, the, you know, just dashboard. Yeah. But it's really just sort of like a summary of the other tabs. Yeah. With some, maybe some more, um, highlighting of, of key information. Okay. I don't think we actually need that to start. I think to me, it looks like busy work. Like, oh, we got to have this. To- but it's, and it's also kind of difficult to do because you have to, you, you know, you have to think about all of the different areas. How do I amalgamate them all into that central information system? And so we, we should just cut the paper. Hey, look, I feel like it, I'm in school writing a paper and I have to figure out how to stretch my words. To here's the thing. Things. I don't even think we need any of this stuff. I think we should just go with it. Right. So you think we need all the stuff to, to, to go with it. And that's fair enough because you think that, but, uh, it's fine by me. If you want to take off that main summary tab, that's absolutely fine. I'll tell you what. We go, we start hitting experts Monday morning. So whatever I got on Sunday night, we got. That's it. How about oh my that? God. How about that? Oh, my God. 
I know it's a deadline. You should see the look of excitement on my face right now. <laughs> I call it more shock. <laughs> okay, so it, so we start hitting them on Monday morning. All right. The only logistical issue with that is that I'm in Uber Media, but we, we can talk about this Monday after afternoon, the show. Whatever. Okay, Monday, Monday afternoon. Cool. Right after lunch, Monday afternoon. And we'll we'll come up with our battle plan of which experts we want to hit. Maybe come other first ten experts that five to ten experts that we think would be. Um, sort of low-hanging fruit for us, people who we may have a connection to, who we think would be experts in areas that would be um, okay. a value to people, that kind of stuff. Oh, wow. I, I wonder if the listeners are feeling the same level of excitement that I, I am. I, th- I think they're like, you know, show me the money. Yeah. They're like, dude, you would ever talk, talk, talk. <laughs> show me the money. Okay. So, which is, uh, which is fair. So, what's the thing? All right, Monday, yeah. Well, Fantastic. Say, but, yeah, okay. So, the, the topic I wanted to bring up was the challenge of making friends as an adult. Right. It was like friends of a certain age. I think yeah. it, was title. it was like a New York Times article. Yeah. And I meant to ask you about that because you were you, you had talked about numerous times about, you know, how you don't get out and meet people. You're always at home. Yeah. And part of one of the reasons that you were excited about working at Uber Media is that you were actually going to get out in the world and meet and talk to real people. Yeah. So first thing, I, first thing I guess I might ask is at Uber Media, do you feel like you're meeting friends or are they just like friendly coworkers? Uh, friendly coworkers. But I do have this basic problem where... Just my basic personality is I'm great at like meeting someone for the first time and talking to them and sharing a lot of information and establishing a connection. But then I just don't seem to have the capacity to maintain that that relationship. Like, I don't know why. It's just it just feels uh, painful. I don't know if that's a good word. It's like like too too much closeness hurt, like makes me kind of uh, what's the, I don't know what the word is. Withdraw, Rich, rich, withdraw, withdraw yeah. or something like that. So it's like, I really want to be your friend. Oh, yeah, I really want to be your friend. But then I come back and try and speak to you again, and it feels awkward. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of awkward. How do I continue this? Hmm. So, Why did that stop you when uh, we first, after our first talk? I don't know. I don't know. That's weird. Because it was maybe it was just by phone. It wasn't in real world. Huh. Well, we had, no, we had one conversation, and I think... I don't. I think I might have mentioned. Like, why don't we grab us? Maybe grab I was so pizza. supremely desperate then. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Well, you know, I think all you got to do actually is just is just just uh, you know, whoever you, you know you want to be friends with. Yeah. <laughs> say, hey, you want to want to grab some food? You know, when when it comes to yeah. lunch, like, hey, what do you, what do you do for lunch? You want to grab? Yeah. That's you know. That's how it works. Go grab go grab uh, some Father Nature, which is right next door. Oh yeah, one of my favorite restaurants. That they do amazing wraps. I yes. had I had a hummus wrap on my non-fast day the other day. Yeah, I always I always it's my favorite places to eat lunch. I go out there and grab a grab a wrap and then go sit out in the middle of the courtyard. Yeah, middle of the courtyard is with all the tables. And stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, that's, that's opposite it. Yeah, I know it. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the place to eat. So, well, I wrote a big blog post that isn't released yet, and and uh, I just showed it to you and wondered whether you thought it was worth releasing. Yeah, no, I th- I, it seems like a good post. So essentially, the gist is that. There needs to be an open version of Twitter. That's, yeah, that's that. So that so that um, kind of like how there is there's an open email, right? Exactly. Yeah. There are email servers, just like the what I was sort of suggesting that the, actually my mistaken interpretation of what App.net was. Yeah. I didn't realize that I was completely wrong about it. I, I thought I thought App.net was essentially making the same um, call to arms that you're making now, which is that we need an open Twitter. And, you know, for all these different reasons where app.net is more crea- creating like a paid closed version of Twitter's free closed version. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But but because because the thing the thing that has 
brought me to write this blog post is Twitter's just released a revision of their terms and service. Or, well, they've done a blog post about the new changes that are coming and when, when they release uh, version 1.1 of their API, the very strict terms and conditions that they're going to put on this. With, with ridiculous things like you can't display a tweet in any other way than the way that they say that you should display a tweet. They, like, so in other words, they don't, they don't give the general public the credit to understand how to parse a tweet with their own mind. So you, so you can't put other social networks or other buttons to other social networks next to a tweet. You can't put the, tw- the tweet text next to, an, to the image of the person. It has to go, the, the, their name and their at username has to be next to it, and then the text goes, like, it's so specific. You have to have a follow button on the top right. You know? and the, and, but also, the most amazing thing is, this, this is incredible. They're, they're limiting the number of users to 100,000 per client. So if you use the Twitter API, you can't, you ha- you can't have more than 100,000 users of your app unless you go and explicitly seek permission from Twitter. Unless, I think, unless they said you're already bigger than that, in which case you could be twice as big as you are now, but no bigger, right? We, like, we, so TweetDeck and Hootsuite could be twice as big as they are now, but no bigger. But it still puts a cap on, the, on your growth or any potential. I mean, what investor will, would invest in a business that is completely capped. Oh yeah, no, I'm not saying that that that's okay. I'm just yeah. saying I'm just clarifying that that's the that's the the two the two sort of constraints. So uh, so as I was writing this blog post, I was thinking about what you were saying and the the part that really came home to me is that Twitter essentially have created a, a free ubiquitous protocol for all to use. When they first started, that's what they created. Mm-hmm. A free ubiquitous protocol, which is the same as saying HTTP, FTP, email right yeah and they but they basically allowed anyone to build a client on it just like you can have any email client or any web browser right and this is this is the point that you were making and i i couldn't agree more so i think what i think is is that in just the same way that we have wikipedia i think we should have something like that for this version of twitter so in other words a non-profit democratized free version uh, yeah sort of open uh it's sort of i guess it'd be notification service yeah it would be a notification, notification would probably be the right name for that, it that anyone anyone could build on top of and basically the, the thing i was thinking about if, if that existed today let's say you could take what twitter is today just turn it into an api so it's just an api and then developers could build on it that thing could spread like wildfire right isn't there something like like status.net or something? Haven't people tried to do something like this in the past? No, first of all, I'm not saying that it can't be done. Yeah. Or the conditions haven't changed enough so that something like that, which was marginal, could be could catch fire. Mm-hmm. But I think there's at least one or two sort of semi-open movements like that. I think status.net is like that. Okay. You can double check on it. Uh, uh, check that because um, I'm not sure this is something I haven't thought about in the last year or year and a half, but. I mean, some, another thing about it is, is that um, apart from the fact that we as geeks have the power and we could build like awesome apps and use our influence to promote it and bring a critical mass to it, blog about it, talk about it. Um, if it actually existed, it, would be, it, it could create a new funding marketplace because investors would be interested in investing in something that wasn't going to be capped. If the ground isn't going to move from underneath them, then it's a much safer bet to invest. And that in, that little investment spurt that we saw at the beginning of Twitter, maybe the same thing could happen like that from something like this. Yeah, well, when I first read your post, and you know, I, I, the first half of the first paragraph or two, I thought you were going to call for regulation. And I was like, no, no, you, you can't. Because your tone was like, well, they've become too powerful. They shouldn't be allowed to yeah, control I see, such yeah. an important thing. Um, 
you know, which which again sounded like you you wanted to bring it under regulation, which I think is generally a bad idea. In the short term, um, I think yeah, Twitter is going to be a dictator on this, mm-hmm. and they're going to keep everybody in check, and they're basically going to do what they want, and uh, which is the case. I mean, all companies, people are primarily self interested. They're working for their own advantage, their own their own self interest, and. Even when they're being uh, or seemingly being um, altruistic, it's usually for the side effect of of their own advantage. Right. right? Um, companies, when companies become incredibly powerful, or governments become incredibly powerful, or people become incredibly powerful, they they're still acting their own self interest, but it becomes they can get away with more. Yeah. And so they and so they and so they they do those things that are fundamentally uh, detrimental to other people. And I think that's what you're saying with Twitter right here. I mean, they couldn't have, obviously they could have started out like this when uh, doing these kinds of things when, you know, in their first couple of years or few years of, of operation, but now they've reached such a critical mass. Yeah. They know that um, they have the, the sort of, everyone has a sort of sunk cost um, in, in investment in them. Everybody is, you know, already vested. They have their followers, they have their habits and understanding of the ecosystem, the, you know, their, their, the third-party aptivores were built on it. So they know they had they they could really screw up for a long time before it would really make a difference, and that's probably what's going to happen. I mean, they're gonna they're going to just like all these big companies people complain about, whether it's something that Comcast did or Goldman Sachs did or or Enron or you know or uh, Monsanto or any of these companies that people view as evil because they do self-interested interested things that tend to be evil. Twitter will continue to do things, maybe not to the level of evil that any of these companies do because all they do is status updates, but they'll push things as far as they can to maximize the revenue until some external forces keep them in check. And I think the only real long-term solution that will be beneficial to everyone is some sort of free market solution, whether it's free market people choosing to go with some open system, as you're suggesting, or going with other alternative um commercial interests like app.net well so app.net could never really take on twitter because the i mean the that app.net is just going to be it's going to be useful but in a different kind of a way it's not going to be for example a way to get free speech out to the third world because obviously the third world can't pay to can't afford to pay for app.net what's that well, how much do you have to pay for it is it is it's not well, free at any level the, 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 it's not free at any level as i understand it no um and i was discussing with alex on on the texting blog about this as well he was saying well as an app alex was saying as an app.net developer um you could pay 100 bucks a year and then you could create an app and then on your app you could bring in a whole bunch of free people but i don't think that's the case because uh users have to pay on app.net as well as developers so i don't see how you could create a development system and then bring in people for free like how's app.net going to make its money if it doesn't have advertising you know it just doesn't make sense well i i think um i think uh if app.net was able to win and you're right i don't think based on my new understanding of it i don't think it can win right if it was able to win um and it became powerful it would do the same thing that twitter is doing i think that the only ultimate solution for this not to continue to repeat itself is if it was if it was an open version like you're talking about, or if something completely supplanted this whole way of communicating. Just how things kind of fall out of favor. Yeah. People just you know people don't do CBs radios to communicate anymore. Yeah, right? yeah, I mean people. Yeah. I mean if you're like oh that was quaint back around the turn of the century when yeah. they did these little status things. Nobody cares about that anymore. It just yeah. dies or some other 
which will happen at some point, whether it's 10 years or 50 years, eventually this kind of stuff will just not, no one will care about it anymore. Well, it's funny because I, I'm not sure that it it would in the sense that, I mean, what else can you have? Maybe like a thought packet, <laughs> a packet of thought coming. I mean, maybe, okay, maybe in that context, but I don't know what how you can get smaller than just like a, a small sentence of text, you know? I don't know. You know, they, things have a way of just sort of altering in very slight ways and they become fundamentally different. Like if you looked at something like Facebook or even Twitter, you'd, it really just is kind of like a forum, like a discussion forum. Yeah. But you don't ever say it's the same thing. Yeah. People, you wouldn't say people don't use forum. Forums still exist. Yeah. Um, and you wouldn't say that forums died, but they sort of got supplanted. Yeah. As a primary way of, of communicating with, and really was just s- small adjustments to the behavior of the system to the to features of the system. Yeah, that's a possibility. But I certainly think for certainly for the near future, um, the status update uh, model is going to be a real one. So anyway, so I'm gonna I'm gonna release that uh, blog post probably after this show, and uh, hopefully it gets somewhere on Hacker News, and we'll see what see what uh, what cool. comes back from it. Cool. Well, I, yeah, I thought it was well written. Nice oh, job. Nice job. Sure. So although one thing I would do is I you 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 refer to this. Uh, yet to exist system as sky.net yes which is a great name skynet well, no, but yeah, yeah, which is a great name right well because it's from terminator although i wonder if you want to use the net as lowercase n because capital n reminds me of like dot net like microsoft dot oh yeah okay every time right. i see that i'm thinking okay that's I'll the only time you see a capital n is when okay i'll change it to lowercase n yeah so I, no i say i say skynet just because it's um you know it's it's like a, a tip of the hat to terminator yeah, that, that's the. Although people are going to think that seems kind of you. Oh, like, that's just like global AI takes over and <laughs> extinguishes humanity. Yeah, I think I'd like that association, but I, I still agree. I think, no. I think it's. I think it's cute. That's good. So it's funny. I wrote a blog post yesterday too. Oh, did you? I didn't mean to. Actually, I got a. I got an email from uh, Alexander Wilk, one of our uh, listeners. Yeah. And his uh, younger brother, his half brother, is going to study. Um, you're going to take a year abroad. He's a he's a math undergrad. Yeah. Uh, or you call it maths in the UK. Oh, yeah. We maths say maths. Yeah. Undergrad. And I guess taking a year to study at the uh, University of Miami or something. And he's like, hey, do you have any advice for him? He's like, my concern is that he's not going to focus or whatever. You know, because, you know, your little brother. You always think your little brother's going to screw off. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially going to place, someplace like Florida, you know. You know okay. So you're writing the advice and then you thought, hmm, this is sounding a lot like a blog post. Well, I, my, 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 my initial sentence or whatever was like uh, you know i don't really know what i can say that's gonna be helpful since i don't really know his character or personality or goals you know it's like depending on the person the advice can be completely different you know yeah. some people are overly serious you're like you know you need to balance your life and go out and have some fun and you know yeah. some people are just screwing off all the time it's like okay so you need to focus more be a completely different type of advice depending yeah. on the kind of person it is you know if someone is um, trying to do they want to become a professor or they just kind of think it's kind of a fun subject and they're gonna I mean, it's a totally different type of things you might say to them so i ended up going through and writing down and i thought i'd write like six or seven points i came up with 20 points <laughs> 20 pieces of advice and um which i think are, are, are pretty good based based on my missteps all right as an undergrad because so i studied math as an undergrad and uh i had my wins and my losses yeah, and my 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 own struggles, but I think based on that, I know what to do that what it takes to to win. What are the top three? Go to class. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a pretty big. Go one. to don't skip class ever. 
Yeah. Because now I, a lot of people don't have that that struggle, right? They just they always go to class. They think yeah. they would they would never think of skipping class. Like that would just seem like an odd thing to do. I had a bad habit of staying up late talking to people. Yeah. I know it's a shock. Imagine that. Yeah, I can't believe it. Well, you know, you're in a dorm. Yeah. And you get off the elevator and there's always like these like they call like the uh, the floor lounge area. Yeah. Where everybody, you know, the couches and tables, so people are sitting there studying and talking and eating pizza and just whatever, right? Irresistible to Jason. I resist. So I get off the elevator, at, come back from the library, wherever, at 11, 12 at night, and there's half a dozen people out there, and guess what? I'm out there till between 2 and 4 in the morning. Yeah. Which means I'm not getting up till noon. And that means I'm barely going to catch the bus back to the dining hall to have breakfast at lunch before lunch closes, which means I miss most of my morning classes. So what? So what is the knock-on effect of missing the classes? Well, okay. So the problem with missing classes is that you just become untethered from what the class, the focus of the class is. Yeah. You know what the problems that you you know you can talk to your buddy and say, "What's the problem set?" So we have a midterm in three weeks. By the way, here's the problem set. It's due on, you know, Monday or whatever. So you can you you can essentially do that. When I did that, a lot of that, I call I used to call myself an on an on campus, um, an on campus correspondent student. <laughs> 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 I would get the problems as a friend and I would stick it in the graders mailbox. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't know with every class, but a lot of them I did that. Or right. I, I did way too much of that. Yeah. And the reason you just become untethered, you don't really know what the emphasis, uh, what the, what the, what the professor is emphasizing. Cause the t- professor, y- you could be covering certain topics that, Oh, that's chapter one. That's chapter two. That's chapter four. That's chapter seven. You can know what chapters are being covered, where the, where the problems are assigned and just line, line up with the topics. But they might, you could tell when they're teaching that they're saying, they're emphasizing like this is critical. Like, yeah. oh, they're going to, they're going to test this on this. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, but if you're not there, you have no idea. Yeah. You just have to test everything in general, which is a top, the one, the one point that I didn't bring up, my, uh, my buddy, Phil Amen, uh, yeah. reminding me of, because yeah. he, he happened to call me right after I finished writing, writing it and I told him about it. He guessed like the first two or three. Okay. You know, he's like, he's like, let me guess, go to class. I'm like, you're, <laughs> see, dude, that was my struggle. The one he brought up, which I can't believe I forgot, and I learned from him, which was anticipate what the professor is going to test you on. Yeah. I had never considered doing that. So I was, I think it was maybe the winter quarter of our freshman year. We were both taking honors uh, calculus, which is what the math majors um, would take with sort of all proofs and, and stuff. And, and, uh, I, I, I think I showed up to his room to ask him about, uh, you know, problem set or what his thoughts were on it or whatever. We were, we were, we were getting to be kind of friends then. And he's like, well, you know, Buckley, who's our teacher, he goes, you know, Buckley's going to ask us, he's going to ask us this question, right? And you know, Buckley's going to ask this and he's probably going to ask this. And, uh, you know, my bet that these other couple of topics are probably prime targets. And I swear to God, he predicted all five test questions. It was amazing. <laughs> I was like, I had never considered doing that before. I'm like, that was so shrewd. It was so clever. But you couldn't know because of not going to class. I couldn't know of not going to class. Yeah. But it also taught me, in general, when you go to class, pay attention to the points that the professor continues to iterate. Yeah. If you were the professor, what would you feel like you would need to ask to make sure that, to, to see whether the students had grasped the content had mastered the skills that you expected them to master. 
anyway. So yeah. things like that. So I went down a list of of all of these things, and I actually think it came out pretty well. My Alexander was like, "Oh man!" After I dirty, he's like, "I feel really guilty now." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Just don't tell Justin because he's expecting me to work on any food." All day. Oh crap! <laughs> but actually, it didn't take that long. I blew it out in like an hour, okay. or maybe forty five minutes. I think. Of, so I just got to go maybe spend another half hour clean it up. But uh, tell, I want to tell a few anecdotal stories with my on with my points. But uh, it's kind of funny how blog posts can roll out of emails like that. Yeah. Like one of the my, one of my uh, one of my to- all time top blog posts was why I quit um, doing why I quit algorithmic trading to do web startups, and that was that result that was the result of a response to a question from um, from Sohail. Um, who we he, haven't heard of, heard, we don't get to hear from too much lately, no, and, and we miss him. What was Sohail's the his pseudonym? The, uh, uh, more more Pinder Bopinda Abu Singh or something. Abu, like Abu, I can't remember. I don't know. Whatever. So yeah. Anyway, so he had, he I I had, I had posted something about algorithmic trading, and he's like, "Well, why Bams. Bams. He's like, "Yeah." He's like, "Well, why did you uh, why did you quit doing algorithmic trading?" Anyway. Yeah, yeah. And so then I was like, well, this and this and this. And then and a lot of people upvoted it, you know, my seven or eight points. And, and then becomes, I was like, yeah. wow, okay. So, like, I got, like, you know, all these reshares and all these upvotes. This sounds like interesting. So I cleaned it up, made it a blog post. In it. Yeah. And I still get emails about that. I get another email today. I get an email about once a week Well, they have a long people. tail, these, these big blog posts. You know, they have a long tail. I mean, the entrepreneur thing is the same. You still get emails? On yeah, it it's just it's just basically long tail um, st- stuff that gets really publicized. It, it because it gets syndicated so much. Once it gets on the front page of Hacker News, then it's going to be syndicated to like ten thousand sites, you know, and those people are going to reference it. So you're just going to. Well, maybe if it not makes a front page, but if it hits number one or two, if it gets, you know, I guess two, yeah. three, four, five hundred points. Yeah, yeah. You know, now it's probably a little higher, maybe a little higher threshold. Maybe it hits yeah. like four, five hundred points. You can guarantee that thing's gonna gonna roll for a while so i still get emails from from people wanting me to help them with their automated trading systems or hire me to build a system for them or whatever it's just kind of funny we're gonna we're gonna have to start moving through because you've you've sent me um some great links to to look over um before you came over today and i want to talk about some of them for example one of them so i want to talk about if you don't mind the singularity is not coming Singularity is not coming. That's, that's the post. I really like that article. Yeah, just just Google the singularity is not coming. Um, I mean, I guess that was big on Hacker News, though, wasn't it? That article, right? Was it? I think it was. I, I'm, I'm sure I saw it before. I just didn't. Re- I didn't actually read it before you sent it. Now, but the the really interesting thing. I mean, I think the main point that the article's making is that in the singularity, they say the reason why the singularity is coming is because of exponential scientific growth. Right. But in, a, in actuality, according to the writer, there is no exponential scientific growth. In fact, it's, it's exponentially harder to come up with uh, discoveries as, as time goes. The yeah, older a subject is, yeah. the more mature a subject, the harder it is to make breakthroughs because all, everything, all the easy pickings yeah. have, been, have been had, right? So like he, one, one example he gave was in uh, quant- was quantum mechanics. He's like all the significant discoveries or most of the significant discoveries had all, all been made by... 1930 or something yeah so within i don't know seven or eight years or something of the discovery of i i, can't, I don't know I, i've just uh been listening to a biography of uh of dirac who's one of the you know founders of the field yeah and high and they talk about heisenberg and all these guys and um so it was right around that time but it was something like you know five or ten years pretty much all the uh 
all the obvious or even sort of like the maybe not even the, uh, the the obvious but all of the all the main discoveries have been made yeah and then you get basically 10,000 follow-up people studying that over the next decade and they each get more and more specific about a tiny little subset of that and for them to make a breakthrough it, like they don't make any major breakthroughs they just make kind of sub kind of point sub what, what would you call that like no, a it's just minor like a, like a foot, like footnote breakthrough yeah oh yeah. here's a special case or here's yeah. this interesting edge case or whatever um yeah so basically what happens is because it because um it becomes exponentially harder to make scientific, scientific discoveries in a mature field yeah and because uh, that you requires an exponential growth in um scientific the power of scientific discovery just to stay even, just to have nice linear growth or something, which yeah. is kind of what we've seen. So I guess what he's saying is that there has been an exponential growth in resources available to machines. Like the, the resources in terms of the machines are more powerful themselves. The machines are more powerful that the science and, and the technology are more powerful that the scientists are using. But that sort of just counteracts but the, the fact. But, but the, the great point he makes is, is that even though we have this massive computing power and it's going to get exponentially better, our understanding of AI is pretty much we're using the same basic principles that we were using in the 40s. Yeah, maybe maybe a little in the 50s. And, yeah, yeah. Maybe 50s or so. Yeah, yeah. Samuel's Checkers, which was like one of the first AI game playing. I think it was the first, maybe it was the first AI game playing program. I think Turing might have done some um, AI chess thing or something that he yeah. that he was playing around with. But yeah, Samuel's Checkers, the, the techniques he used, that, uh, used in his approach are not too far off. I mean, there have been advances made, but they're not, you know, orders of magnitude better yeah so because obviously that like for us to have artificial intelligence that is essentially the same as consciousness we're going to have to make quantum breakthroughs in ai now there was a couple of comments were interesting one guy i mean first of all this isn't a scientific paper he didn't prove it he just made a sort of philosophical argument that was that was interesting um i i felt that made a good case against the singularity coming um a point that one guy made was something along the lines of that, you know, when you hit certain thresholds, then you have these breakthroughs, like a new field gets created or there's a new threshold in technology. And then, then you hear kind of this discontinuous jump. So it's not like a continuous exponential. It's kind of step, you know, we go through and all of a sudden you have computers, boom. And all of a sudden you have something else, boom, you know, it's like there was no microchips. Then there was microchips. That was like, bam. So I don't know. I mean, it's hard. It's, it's, it's really hard to predict the future, right? Yeah. I mean, I could say this, predicting things is, is hard, especially when it's the future. Was that Yogi Berra? Well, you 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 brought you sent me that other post, which was um, science fiction writers' predictions of the future. Right. Yep. To, to, talk us through that one. Well, that, first of all, that's hilarious. So they had guys like Frederick Pohl and Jerry Pornell and Isaac Asimov and all of these really top-notch science fiction writers and and sort of science fiction theorists right they're not just t- telling you know these uh, s- fun stories about the future they're trying in a way to predict it yeah maybe even some way hope to shape it a little bit guide us towards what might be possible and there were a few things here and there that they got right but oftentimes what they did is they just went they took things to an extreme in every case either there was a nuclear war or it was utopia in some way Right. Oh, well, nobody works anymore. Everybody has a day or, oh, you guys are all wiped out. So I want to read this nuclear war, you know, it's sort of like, or we're all in space and we're all living in space. We've colonized the, you know, we have bases on the moon. We colonized Mars. And, you know, I mean, it was, it was kind of funny. It wasn't sort of like things have kind of improved and kind of not improved. Like certain things have improved quite a bit. 
Yeah. You know, um, you know, healthcare is a lot better, but we haven't wiped out Parkinson's disease and, uh, you know, and these other diseases. Yeah, they were expecting, like there was a couple of them who, who said, oh, things like diabetes and Parkinson's will be, will gone. be gone by 2012. I was like, yeah, actually my buddy's got diabetes. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I talked to him. Um, one of them was funny. Look, like, there's no more wars. Like there's been some, you know, world, you know, like United Nations type of council that that sort of inter- mediates all conflict and there's no more wars and, and be, thanks to that we don't have to spend money on military and stuff it's like oh, yeah talk to the u.s uh you know yeah, the, the defense department you see that uh, we spend trillions of dollars and they're constantly wars that we're either participating in or helping to incite whether it's iraq or afghanistan or syria or bombing iran or what's going on and i mean this is constant yeah and um so i mean these guys are really bright and they spent a lot of time thinking about the future, but they were all mostly much more wrong than they were right. They had a few things here and there that were kind of interesting. Yeah, it's kind of true. But um, yeah. So, and, and that was only 25 years. They're not predicting 150 years in the future. They're trying to get 25. This is 1987. Yeah. And everything was very reflective of what they were frustrated with at the time, whether it was Reagan's, um, uh, you know, uh, was it the SDI program, the, 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 the satellite I, I couldn't defense. believe how many times people mentioned Reagan. It's like, why would you, I mean, I guess because you're, you're, you're an animal of your time right. that you're just focused on that. But that seems silly i mean it's it you should abstract yourself from that and try and think in a much larger, larger sense yeah you think they would you know look at trends that were 50 years or 100 years long like if you're going to predict something that's 25 years in the future you probably i would think you'd want to look at the trend for like the last 100 years but if they were looking at the trend for the last five years they kept talking about aids and um AIDS and Reagan were the things in the in this in the Star Wars Defense Initiative, right? Those AIDS, were the things. AIDS that, and Reagan. Those were the things that they're talking about, which is what was going on at their time. Yeah, yeah. You know, if they started talking about, they, if they if they moved away from that, and it's it's sort of this cognitive bias, similar to a cognitive bias that we overweight um, the instances that are in front of us. So, our, as humans, we have this tendency to to um, make generalizations from some sample sizes that are way too small. Like, it was funny, when I was over the other night, and uh, the other day I stopped by, and I was talking with you and Georgie, and I said, I asked Georgie, I said, what are, you, what are you thinking of Pasadena? And generally speaking, you guys were really happy. Yeah. But one thing she said, she's like, you know, but I've just noticed that, like, some of the people here are on edge. That keeps on happening to her, though. And I said, like, you know, I've never, ever had interactions like that. And I said, you know, it sounds like she might have run it, wanted to, you know, one or two different irritating people at the supermarket. And now she's generalized that, which you might say two or three people. I mean, it, I mean, my, I would be shocked if she ran into ten annoying people. Well, for but. example, driving. She's she was she was saying that people are a lot more laid back driving in the middle of Hollywood than they are in Pasadena. And I was like, what do you mean that can't be possible? And she's like, well, the thing is, people are kind of aggressive in the middle of Hollywood, but they know that they're stuck in the flow, so they they kind of they're kind of forced to go with the flow, so they're a little bit less pushy. Whereas if, in Pasadena, if they're taking a right in front of you or whatever, there's much less traffic around, but they want to get to where they're going. So they really force their case and push in front of you. Yeah. So that's been her experience. See, I, I you know, I say I can't prove it. Yeah. You guys have been here two weeks. I yeah. think I think the generalization is a result of too small of a sample. Yeah. So what's going to happen, I think, is even if she doesn't run into any irritating, pushy people for the next six months, she's She'll already made think, the generalization. She, that's the she's rule. always going to think and that. That's gonna, and that's going to color 
her perspective on Pasadena people in Pasadena. Yeah. And it happens all the time. I happens when I talk to Sandy and she'll have some emotional reaction to some place or some people. And I'm like, oh no. Now she's gonna generalize. Now we're gonna and hate we're not, that now this that's going to be a generalization, a rule, you know, <laughs> oh, based on the axiom, but the X that we have to deal with a certain place. Like, no, that was like, you know, you had a bad experience one or two times. Sometimes it happens to all of us. Sometimes, you know, you, you just run into somebody's a jerk. And sometimes you're really lucky when you're really unlucky you run into a jer- two jerks in one week or yeah. in a couple of weeks. You're like, man, what is it with people? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and usually you run into one every couple, two or three months. And you're like, well, I guess my time is up. It's time for, <laughs> time for <laughs> my number is jerk. up. It's time for a jerk to show up my life and make <laughs> things difficult. And then, you know, move on. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think, um, but back to the prediction thing, I, th- I think that just goes to show that it's hard to predict. And uh, it's very similar to just, you know, the, the, the automated trading stuff that I had done. It's like, you know, if you're going to try and predict, um, if you're going to try and predict what's going to happen in the market or with some stock or some future um, in the next couple of days, you're going to want to be, or the next week, you're going to want to be studying the market for the past few months. If you're trying to study, if you're trying to predict what's going to happen for the, with stocks for the next, you know, few months, you're going to be looking at years. Yeah. You know, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Actually, I should say this thing. If you're going to be, if you're trading intraday, you're like trying to predict the, the behaviors of the market just on a period of hours or minutes. And you're just going to trade the day. You're probably going to use three months of data at least just to predict what's going to happen during the day. Okay. And you're going to shift forward a day or you might do that for a week. You might use the same algorithms for the week or so, but you're going to recalibrate your model a little bit and you're going to shift your three month window forward. I mean, there's all kind of, more advanced things to think about when you're not overfitting data and all this kind of stuff. But generally speaking, just to give you an idea. So if you're to predict 25 years in the future, five or 10 or past 25 years is no, is, is not near enough of a sample. To So moving on, you sent another great article. Um, Harvard cracks DNA storage crams 700 terabytes of data into a single gram. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> I thought so, it was unbelievable. It's a single gram of DNA. So not just one strand. Obviously, a gram holds, I think, you know, a number of strands of DNA, obviously. But um, 700 terabytes in one gram. Yeah. So let me know my notes here. So it said that was the equivalent of 14,050 gigabyte Blu-ray discs or 233 three terabyte hard drives weighing in aggregate 151 kilos. The That's thing, how big. A but, gram is equivalent to our state-of-the-art. Our state-of-the-art hardware is 151 ki- uh, kilograms, and they can fit in one gram. But the thing is, this isn't like science fiction. Like this, this is the basic fundamental technology where they can actually store this data, binary data, and retrieve binary data from DNA in this form. And they can store 700 terabytes of data in a single gram. It's incredible. So, th- so this is, I mean, I guess it's going to take what? five years to commercialize this but uh probably longer than that i mean i think i i think we might see something and uh well you think 10 years 10 10 to 15 maybe but i mean you know it's just uh, just because i think there's a lot of supporting technologies that probably have to go on the reading yeah and chain and writing of it at at certain speeds and they're also talking about the the like the stability of it saying that this is actually much more stable than magnetic storage for example yeah like so like a piece of dna could survive hundreds of years no, they said ten thousand years. Ten thousand years. Yeah, right. <laughs> just sitting there yeah. out in the in the, it, in the in the world, nature, yeah. just sitting there. Whereas, like these terabytes and these, uh, I mean, these, I'm sorry, these hard drives and and, and even DVDs and stuff, they degrade over time. You can't. Some it's 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 an, it's an amazing 
discovery. I'm, I was just like, wow. I was and it was away pretty cool. Uh, the, guy who's, the guy who was in charge was a guy named uh, George Church. Yeah. And, or not charge, but he was part of it. At least, um, you know, so he's like one of these guys who's right at the center of this whole synthetic biology movement. I mean, he's been doing it before it's called synthetic biology, systems biology or whatever. Yeah. So he's, just, he's been the giants in the field and he's part of this they didn't talk about this in an article, but I just know this from stuff I've read over the recent recent months. But he's like a he's like a professor at, at Harvard and at MIT, and he's like founded or been part of the founding team of or been the advisor to like you know two dozen of these or more, maybe it was even more than that uh, in the twenties or something of biotech startups, like really cool ones. This guy's all over the place. So, any news on your synthetic biology hunt? No, but actually, um, so. I, I've been focusing a little bit more on the on learning electronics as opposed to, as, as opposed to synthetic biology because my primary goal for this was something that I could teach Colby, that I could work with, with Colby on. Yeah. Um, I want to do synthetic biology, but I think that might be a couple of years down the road. But the other least. thing is that I think the feedback loop is just too long. You can't really see what's happening. Whereas with electronics, I know I'm, I'm sorry I'm butting in here, but no, no. I, if, if it was me, I'd be like, eh. What? I mean, I just see a pile of goo. I mean, who cares about that? Whereas with electronics, that's kind of interesting because you get to see the reality. Yeah. Um, so that, 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 that's true. Now, the, my biggest problem was, I mean, I wasn't so worried about that. Um, but what I was more worried about or what I was frustrated about is there's no, there were no good introductory texts on the subject. There was either like, oh, we've collected a bunch of Wikipedia articles you should read. Yeah, and, yeah. Open, and it was just, I went through it and it's just. It's, it's difficult okay, to get like, into. Let me just say that compared to what it could be, it's garbage. It's the best it is. It's, I mean, for, if, for somebody who's not going to go, if there's, if, if there's nothing available, there's no book available. Yeah. You know, it's a good collection of material. But to get somebody to read in, in, in an efficient way, learn this stuff in an efficient way, it's, it's, it, was, it's just, it was just a god-awful approach. It's, it's so impenetrable. And so unless you are really uh, aggressively persistent or already have at least an undergraduate, if not a graduate degree in, in molecular biology, there's just no way. So you have gone through the synthetic biology madness and come out the other side. Well, I, I, still, think it's, I still think it's possible to learn it in a short period of time, like say on the order of maybe maybe three to five times as long as it might take to learn how to build an iPhone game, an iPhone app. Okay, if you don't know how to program at all, how long it might take you a few months? I think you could probably do a, a you know six months to a year, you know maybe even less, maybe maybe less. But but it's not your passion, and you're no, not pursuing it. No, no, no. I think it's cool. It's just I only have so much bandwidth, right. and so I've been trying to figure out what I should spend my time on. Yeah, and. You know, the fact that you, you bring up the fact that, you know, there's that feedback loop is slow because you're doing experiments with organ, living organisms they have to reproduce. And, you know, you, even if you use machines like PCR and stuff to create many copies of the DNA and do all stuff, it just takes time, right? Yeah. You just don't write a, right, you know, just hit run or compile or FTP to a server and run it, right? right. So, but there's a, uh, a new um, competition come out called GeneCon2. Oh yeah, which allows you to participate in in uh, sort of designing certain types of organs, making certain um, uh, I don't know adjustments or, or manipulations of these genomes to do certain things. So instead of iGEM, which is like an open competition, an open competition being like a science fair, it's like just do whatever you want and submit it. And, and as long as it goes into a category, like hey, I'm in the um, computer science category, or I'm in the physics category, or something, um, you know, then you can compete. 
and and um, uh, this is cl- this is a a uh, not an open competition. So what you do is they say here's the challenge. Yeah, kind of like the DARPA challenge, like who can ha- who can create a car that can navigate across the desert or something, right? That's a very specific challenge. And uh, what they say is that there's no need for a lab that um, all the constructions and experiments will be carried out by uh, one of their lab partners. And so what you do, it's sort of a bio, bioinformatics design competition. So they have, they have a bunch of rules and manuals of like different software that you use to go in and experiment. So this is the kind of thing that like we could participate in fairly easily, right? Or our listeners could. Yeah. If people have some sort of inclination to want to experiment or learn about this stuff, they can, they can read through some of the manuals, learn how to use some of the software, and they might actually be able to engage with it without having to buy a bunch of expensive lab equipment and learn all the the lab skills, which in and of themselves take a long time to master. Ultimately, I think, um, so I think GeneCon 2 is really cool. Cool. That's something that ultimately, I, I'm not going to participate in this year, but I think in a year or two, I might very well participate in it. It'd be cool maybe to get like, you get like a tech zing team. Oh. <laughs> I'll get an ad hoc tech zing team to compete in GeneCon. <laughs> Go on. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, that would be awesome. I, you know what? It's funny. It, it, it doesn't like light my candle in any way this that whole thing mm-hmm. but i can i can imagine that it does light the candle of a lot of texting listeners yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's cool it's, well when we get to the bioinformatics part where it all becomes an information game right like how do we how do we looking at the information structure of these restriction restrictors or promoters genes and affects these other genes like it's a sort of a mathematical puzzle in a way yeah combined with with almost with programming or it probably involve a lot of programming to to come up with ideas of what might work? So uh, I guess you you touched on the electro uh, the electronics thing. I mean, has there been any progress with that? Yeah. So okay. So that for me is something I'm interested in, but it's 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 also something that is really That's Colby. It's ultimately about something I want to work on with Colby. So yeah. I'm trying to learn it ahead of him, and uh, and that's what I've been doing. I actually got I have like four books on it now. I've told you I think I had to have like <laughs> three or four to actually. Yeah. And um. They're pretty good. I got, so I've been making progress on that. Is it, is it easier or harder than synthetic biology? I'll bet you that you could write... It's, it's easier to learn it because there are good books on it that encapsulate. Yeah. Like here is okay. a 500-page book that goes through you know, pretty much everything or at least a good portion of what you need to know. As opposed to, like, you go on these synthetic bio- biology, like, discussion forums. They're like, oh, you know, you should read this book, and then you should read this book, and this book. And each book is, like, you know, a graduate text in yeah. cell biology or microbiology or, or biochemistry. And you're just like, seriously? that I'm sure that would be awesome to know that, all that stuff. But I'll bet you you could get away with knowing 5% of the content in there. That would be really relevant. That would be stream, you could streamline. It's like saying, so, just like I said before, it's like if, you, if someone came to you and said, oh, I want to learn how to build an iPhone app. It's like, well, first of all, you need to know discrete mathematics. Yep. And then we're going to learn linear algebra. And then we're going to learn LISP or scheme. And then we're going to learn data structures. And you're like, you, it's so stupid. So did you, so back, back to electronics, what's going on? Like, Okay, so <laughs> that all rolls into Catalyst. Ah, uh, yeah, okay, that's Catalyst. The, that's okay. the real question. Let's talk about Catalyst, which, by the way, you have um, intimated that I'm going to be teaching at Catalyst. I'm going to rope you in. I'm going to, I'm going to be teaching I'm those rope, kids. Uh, okay, fair enough. Not, I'm not, up for that. No, I'm what, up for that. What I, what, I, what I would view you as is sort of like a on-call assistant coach okay i'd be like no justin worries. what are you doing tomorrow like, come on you get over here you're gonna help me out right <laughs> okay so well I, i've decided that the first two things that i'm going to teach them are going is going to be programming and electronics right 
Um, and the reason is, I think electronics. Electronics is cool because it's 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 hands on. Like you can have like real breadboards and real electric and real uh, you know transistors and capacitors and you know and all these things. They can actually have real physical things and they can manipulate with their hands. You know, each person, each kid has their own stuff, and you can see stuff happening. And then we can add cool buzzers and things, and so they can build stuff. And then, and also, there's theory with it. There's math behind it. Like right. you have to know a little bit of baby algebra and a little bit of an equations and a little bit of the relationship between this stuff to be able to calculate. Well, what's the wattage? You know, what's the current? So the current needs to be this, or it has can't be above this amount. So therefore, we need to have the res- this size resistor- resistors or these things are running in parallel. So that will all of a sudden give them a reason to think, oh, math is actually useful. Like, you can't even build electronic circuits, of, uh, design electronic circuits, unless you understand these things. Yeah. And so it'll, it, and, and then, of course, it'll build, give them a sort of an intuitive understanding of how, of how algebra works, for instance, right? And then, and then just the idea of, like, the idea of, of doing something that's theoretical as well as practical at the same time and going back and forth and back and forth, you know, drawing schematics, doing some equations and building stuff, you know. A lot of times things are one way or the other. You're either in the machine shop or you're doing, like, uh, calculus, and there's not a really enough of an overlap. There's no uh, sort of there's not much of a synergistic relationship. Okay, so you said the other thing uh, is programming. Like, yeah. so why why programming? Um, well, I think I want to do more than one thing because I think because if I get let's say a group of uh, ten to fifteen kids doing this, yeah, it could be that they'd be really ideal in general for this, but they're just not into the electronics, for instance, yeah, as much. Okay, and because people everybody has their preference, right? Like, you know, like you, like you're like, I see how synthetic biology is kind of cool. I don't really get it. Right. Yeah. And that's fine. But then, of course, if I was doing something like this, you might bail where it turned out like every other thing we we're doing, you would have loved and been awesome at. But it just happened that the first thing we did, you thought was kind of lame. Right. OK. So you're saying have two options and then if we'll just kind of switch back and forth. Um, but um, what would be you're talking about um, how in electronics there was reasons of why that was a good thing to teach the kids. Is there reasons of why programming is a good thing to teach the kids? Well, I think. Programming is low-hanging fruit, right? It's, it's interactive. Yeah, right? they, they get to see something really you quickly. You get to build something, yeah. build something really quickly. They, you actually, you do something, you hit run, execute, something happens. They yeah. created something. Just like yeah. you're building, it's like, like, just like what they like Legos. It's sort of like, yeah, I was going to say, it's like art, it's like art in a way, mm-hmm. because, because it's creating something. They're creating something. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's why I like, I'm trying, I'm going to focus more on building and creating than I'm, than I'm just like running experiments and just like discovery. Like, oh, let's go and just, because just, I they do a lot of science. Let's come up with our experiment and stuff. And it's, it's okay, but it doesn't require the same kind of understanding. And it's not as fun as creation. So mine's going to, what I'm going to do is it's going to be a lot of science and math kind of things, but it's going to be geared more towards the creation. Okay, so the things. first, okay, so let's imagine w- this is the first catalyst session. Jason's sitting here in the room, 10 kids walk in. What happens next? Actually, I was thinking about this this morning. So I think I'm going to uh, teach them how to program without the computer at first. Okay. Uh, I did this with Colby, actually. So we're, we were... Um, <laughs> so he, you're experimenting on Colby. So he's the catalyst for catalyst. Colby, yeah, exactly. Colby's a little bit of my beta tester. Right, you know, okay. He's, he's my focus group. <laughs> hey, Colby, come here. <laughs> oh, okay, what that? So um, we were in the pool, and, and my kids, whenever we go down, we have a pool at our, at our condominiums, and whenever we go down to the pool, um, the kids just climb on me. I'm like a jungle gym right you're like a human jungle oh it's exhausting all three of them are like dad i mean they they fight over me and they're like oh it's my turn and so they're all crawling on me and jumping on me that's it's like after like an hour that i am just like wiped out i'm gonna have to bring you over that too you can take like izzy go jump on justin (laughs) jump on uncle justin you're gonna become uncle justin because it's exhausting so um 
just they like to ride on my back when I swim across the pool. Like I'll swim underwater, and then they like hold onto my shoulders and like a pull on, or like stand on my brother. My they like to stand on me like I'm surfing. Of course, they always fall off after like two seconds. So that kind of thing. So Colby's like would hold on my shoulders, and I would swim underwater and across the pool. And he's like, Dad, I want I want to be able to control you. I want, if I if I if I tap on your shoulder right, I want you to turn right. Like <laughs> a horse. I'm like, all right. Trust me. Anyone who's not a parent will be doing these kinds of humiliating things in your when you have kids. You will be you will be a horse. Your kids but are right. That's, that's kind of like programming. Exactly. So I go, I go, all right, so tap on my it's like I'll tap on your left, I want to go left, and tap on your right, it tap on the right shoulder and I'll go right. And so then we get back and he's like, Great, now if I tap on your head, you jump out of the water. Or if I tap on your middle of the back, you turn around. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, all right, Colby, that's good. I said, and so we did that a couple of times. I said, here's the thing though. You have to come up with your four taps before I go underwater, and then I'm gonna do those things. You're gonna program me which way you wanna go. Awesome. Good thinking. And so we did that, and then I said, if you want something to happen um, more than once. And I can't remember that. Like you tap in the center of my back means repeat. Yeah. So hit tap on my right and hit and, and, and repeat and then I'll do it, you know, twice or something. And so yeah. we had a little mini programming language <laughs> and he understood series of instructions and so it worked. So what I'm, okay, go on. So you're going to do that with 10 kids. They're all going to come along and like be bumping Jason and tapping your back and doing all this stuff. Oh, actually, I think I tap your back. Oh, right. You're going to be the horse. (laughs) (laughs) I see. I guess we could get kids to do it to other kids. Well, I was actually thinking what I would do, something along the lines of what we might do is come up with a series of little note cards which have one command on it. Yeah. And, or or they are maybe like little pieces of paper, like a little bit of command. And you say, okay, command is walk forward, step, turn right. So it's like, okay, you have to give this to the person and they have to read your cards. They can only execute them exactly the cards. And the idea is to go pick up this block, take it across the room, drop it in here and do, you know, do some serious That's things. That's a really good idea. So, so basically one of the kids is the robot that gets the commands. And I remember actually one of the first, uh, one of the first articles I read kind of trying to explain programming was talking about the, the, the way that they said it was, imagine you were making a, a kettle of tea, a cup of tea right? It, as humans, we would just say, I'll oh, go and put the kettle on and make a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. But from a programming point of view, you would have to say, stand up, walk over here, click the switch, pick, pick up the kettle, move 20 degrees to the left and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's a very good, that's a very good uh, introduction. I like it. Yeah. See, and the kids would have fun. They would think it was kind of silly. They think It'd it was fun. hilarious. Yeah. And, and, you could, and we keep screwing up. And then we have things like a loop, which you could do how many times? <laughs> like, oh, you want your loop card. If you want the person to do this, you need a loop card. I mean, it actually sounds like a game that, yeah. that, we, that we could sell. Probably could. <laughs> I mean, you just just a set of cards and then just sell it for your kids. loop card, your yeah. gift card, your this card, you know, I whatever. Mean, kids would love that. Yeah. Well, we have it. We have we have a little experiment. We have our uh, test case. Our yeah. We got our lab rats, right? Yeah. So we'll um, so we'll do. I was thinking maybe do something like that first. You know, they're doing stuff and they're making, they're learning about about instructions and and how to do that. And once they kind of do that, maybe for after a session, maybe for the first session. The next session will be the programming. Now, I've been looking at what programming language to be the first program. I've been thinking a lot about this for the last couple of years. You know, like, should it be JavaScript or should it be Python or should Squeak or Scratch or all these kind of, you know, educational learning languages? I don't like any of the, I don't like the gooey drag and drop stuff. I think this stuff's silly. I don't think it really teaches them how to program. I think it, I think it best it does is trying to do what we would do with the cards. But it would be less fun, yeah, and would take more time. Um, so it's like you need a second level after that where they're actually programming. Yeah. So what I, I what I want to do is is is, is try to teach them how I learned, which is just the command line. 
not all this, not a crazy IDE, we're not going to do web pages, and we're not going to make like, well, there's this huge game environment, and you just do a little scripting, and there's a game. Like, I don't want to give the impression that's all. That's how a game is created, right? I mean, we can do that later when they understand programming a little bit. Because you want to you teach them in a foundational way. Like, because well, if, if you just took them straight into the GUI stuff, they'd be missing a huge step that, that I, th- I think a lot of people probably are missing that step, who are, who are even programming for on the web today. I agree. I, I think, I think, like I was looking at Code Academy and some of these other sites where they teach you to program, and I know, and I know they're not geared towards kids. Yeah. And sometimes they'll say, "Oh, my 11-year-old learned how to program on Code Academy or whatever," and that may be true. Um, maybe that can work, but I don't think it's optimal because if you go to Code Academy, you're in a web browser, so you're not really saving a file and get your file to your directory and running on the command line, which is more foundational, I think. So more of the stuff is kind of abstracted away from you. The other part is that um, there's all this information on the screen. There's all this text and buttons like click here and explain and run. And I was just like, I'm looking at I'm just looking. I'm like, well, what am I supposed to be looking at? It's just too much but BS. You could, the other thing is you can just write it out. I mean, I learned in basic. That's right. Uh, so what, that was the very first language that I learned. And I thought that was a great way to learn. Is that, is that what you're thinking of? Using? Yeah, yeah. So I want to replicate... The command line version, like, you know, back in, back in the day, Apple IIs, Ataris, TSR-80s, yeah. you know, we all learned command line. Programming the command line. Yeah. Basic. Basic. Right? Okay. And I actually went and I looked at every basic that was free. Because I, I need something to be cross-platform. Yeah. I wanted something, because what I'm going to do is have everyone, all the parents, like, you got to bring in a laptop. I'll bring in an extra laptop, and maybe a couple yeah. people have an like, extra laptop. But, it, you know, some people's gonna, a lot of people are going to have uh, Windows, some people are going to have Macs. You know, we even get a Linux one thrown in, but mostly be Windows and Macs, right? So it's got to be cross-platform. And I want it to be the exact same basic. I can't have different commands and different. It's yeah. got to really be the same. I thought I had found one, the perfect one. Actually, it was like the, one of the only cross-platform basics that um, was free. There were some really good ones. But they cost how, how much? I don't know. It could be like 100, 200 bucks, 300 bucks. For, for just one license? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a couple. There's one like Liberty Basic or something, which was like 60 bucks. And I said, well, if you're teaching, if you're an educator in your class, you only need one per class. If you had three classes, it'd be three licenses. But then it was still like it didn't, the newer version didn't run on a Mac yet. So it still wasn't really there. Okay, right, yeah. And I, I wanted something that was free and that would work. And so... You said you thought you'd found something, but it sounds like yeah, you haven't. It had everything except that the graphics, because I wanted a simple graphics library as well. Yeah. Not that we're going to do graphics out of the gate, but within a month or two, we might say draw a line or draw... Yeah, yeah, of course. So, you, would, you would want that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the one I found was called Chipmunk Basic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is old. This is old school. I mean, I think it was last updated in like 97, but it worked really well for the command line on both the Mac and the Windows. I put it on both my machines and experimented with it, but the graphics didn't work on Windows. But you don't need, gra- you don't need a full graphics there. I mean, can it basically print a square block no. to the screen? No. What even it didn't it wasn't it, they didn't have implementation it did it from far as far but, as I could but tell it, it, no but but it, it can write to the terminal right it can do text yeah yeah exactly well I mean I don't know about you but when I learned basic that was the only graphics there was writing to the terminal so basically you used text to build pictures on the screen yeah I think that's a little I'm not sure the kids would really buy into it I mean if we can start simple but if, if they can't even draw a real square I think they might be a little annoyed so here's the thing I was thinking so I was looking at it and then. I said, all right, well, let me give Python one more look. Yeah. Okay. And I looked at Python, and I think Python if you, looks a lot like BASIC. It's very, very simple. Um, there's a little more ceremony in a couple of small places, but for the most part, 
It's, I mean, it's very terse, right? It's not a whole lot. It's very simple. Yeah. Um, and the way I was going to have them write basic, it wasn't going to be with line numbers. I wasn't going to teach them go tos and go sub. You weren't teach them that. No. no, no, no. Cause I mean, you can write basic, I would say just, you can write, you know, sequential instructions and then later teach this is a, re- a subroutine or okay. a root pot function and, you know, and you can call a function and loops and can, and, you know, that kind of stuff. And that sort of thing. It's like, you know what? Python really is the new basic in that way. I mean, okay. not to say that it's not powerful. Obviously, Python is incredibly powerful and sophisticated, but in terms of a simple, cross-platform command line language, Python. And, and it has the graphics library. And I found a simple graphics library that does everything we need. Okay. And then I thought, you know, because what I was going to do is I was teach them Python first, I mean, basic first, and then transition to Python. Yeah. But then I thought, um, you know, okay, if I can get them over, if I can get them to going to Python first, that'll actually be more efficient because there are things we can do with Python that we'll be able to do with basic and like chipmunk basics the problem was it just it had no almost no documentation especially the graphics stuff i mean i spent a lot of time the other night just trying all this stuff and just banging my head against the wall and i was like this is really frustrating fair enough okay well python there's a ton of stuff we get great so i i met with um oh one of the last thing i'll say about it so the other is going in terms of like how it relates to electronics so I can go in and teach them electronics. So, uh, you know, like let's have a lesson or two in electronics and then we go back and write a computer program that will be like a game. Like, you know, okay, the resistor's this, the, the capacitor's this, what's, what should the, you know, you know, what's, what's the effect or something. Like you have different, and have them create games based on these rule things and they have little, and have little competitions and leaderboards. Yeah. So I remember when I first learned basic, I, the first real basic program I wrote was when I was in ninth grade and I was testing myself on French vocabulary. Yeah. And right. I would tell you, I mean, I knew that French vocabulary better than anyone in the class. I did over Christmas break. When I came back, I was like, I, that was most my worst subject. I had like, I always had like a because, B So you wrote a program to test yourself on French vocabulary. To, to memorize it. Yeah. But by testing the computer program, I became a master of the vocabulary. I came back after Christmas break <laughs> and, our, and our, my, the, the French teacher was like, what is going on? I mean, I was had my hand up at everything. I get, I know that, I know that. <laughs> and she was like, I mean, I was like a B minus student. Like, I was just struggling in that. And then I was like, at least for a while, I was the best. And then I fell off because I didn't. Right. Know. So if you write computer programs that About are games, little command yeah, line okay. games, yeah. based on the stuff, it'll be a self reinforcing. Good thing, idea. I like I think, it. And the other idea I had with it is I wanted is is having them write like an interactive uh, text adventure game. Yeah. Like you know, kind of like okay, you're standing in front of a castle. And there's a river and what do you do? Go yeah. forward, go left. Oh, know? yeah. I love those kind of things. They're so awesome. That would be fun. Because that gets their, that ignites their imagination as well. So, okay, draw a map of your little world. Yeah. What do they do? And then we can, you know, they learn how to do if statements and switch statements. And then you can say, well, we're doing this over and over. Maybe that should be a function. While we're at it, we might as well get them into Dungeons and Dragons. No, I, <laughs> I mean, it's only one step further yeah, down I the buff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, well, this is, I think, I think this is a good way. Now my buddy, and a funny that in terms of the, uh, my buddy, a buddy of mine, Doug Tarr, who I just, I, I, he was an undergrad with me at UC. Right. Computer science guy. And, uh, I happened to, uh, see him for the first time, um, the other day I was up in San Francisco and we had, we had dinner and, uh, he had actually read. I think with that, that about a year ago, that post, uh, how I screwed up my Google acquisition. Yeah. He read that and that's how he first kind of got in touch with me. And so we finally got together and, uh, so we had dinner and I was telling about this, this science club thing. And he goes, and I, and he, I started talking about the adventure game. He's like, you know what you should do? You should do it in text and, and, and note cards first. Have them write up and do, write their little adventure, you know, a simple version like here, yeah. here, here. If they choose this, then they go here, play it by hand with note cards and they go, okay, well, why don't we see if we can get the computer to do that? And so anyone can play it. You I know, like it. I like it. Kind of like a 
problem-driven approach to learning stuff. I like, do. Well, why do I need an if statement? Well, just yeah. say, you know, no. Because if you don't, then it doesn't work. Who cares? Well, you know what? I mean, I do, li- I do like the subject, but we've been speaking about it for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I was wondering if you had something to move on to. I do have something to move on to if you... I got, I, actually, I just wanted to... Can I just say a couple more things about it real quick? Be yeah, quick. sure. Okay. So I had the... I, I met with... Remember I told you there's a, a Karina who's... She teaches astrophysics. Yeah. She's a... Astrophysics teacher? She's an astrophysicist. She's not... And she teaches, she, yeah, teaches astrophysics. And so her two girls are going to participate. All right. And so we, we met... Uh, she's also the president of the PTA, which is convenient. Oh, that makes <laughs> but, life very easy. Oh, well, it doesn't really matter because we're, we're it's not going to be based in this one school. But she's very her kids are in the gifted and talented thing, so she yeah. has sort of a line into who all the gifted and talented kids are who we're going to kind of cherry pick for yeah. this. And um, so we we had we had uh, coffee on uh, Thursday or Wednesday, I think it was, and uh, you know went over all this stuff. And so I think what we're going to do is we're going to do two sessions a week. Mm-hmm. Do like a weekday and one, maybe one on the weekend yeah. because people are kind of busy. So maybe we can sneak in one Sunday afternoon. We're going to do, uh, we're going to do, uh, start going like first week of September. So we start with school because you want to get right in sync with what everybody's doing, all the back to school enthusiasm. And we kind of harness that. Charge $40 a month. So $20 a month will cover our space if we have 10 kids. And so have 20 more dollars left over for, you know, equipment and stuff. Right. Um, Shoot for 15 kids. We have an average of like 10 or 12 at any one time. Because if you have three or four, it's kind of lame. And if you yeah. have 25, it's going to be chaos. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think I'd mentioned about getting, I was going to get a table, like a back, the back to school picnic. I think I'm going to scratch that idea. Sandy was like, if you're getting, if you're going to get, if you get the response that you're, that you, it's a picnic that you've been getting just by talking to people, you're going to have 70 or 80 kids sign up for this thing. Then what are you going to do? Yeah. I was like, yeah. you don't want to go more than 15. And you really want to cherry pick the very best, right? I mean, the point the, I want to stack the deck in our favor that this succeed. So you want you want the kids with the right kind of ability, the right kind of uh, interest, and the right kind of temperament to make it work. Is this like when I got those kids together for that little soccer training session? I picked all the very best kids, you know, the best six or seven kids in the whole city, and it was a whole different was a experience than like say when I coached the random collection of kids for the AYSO team. Yeah. It's not even comparable. And yeah, you you saying this? Yeah, I think you said this. Yeah. So if we want if we want this to succeed, you get the right group of kids, and then we and then the kids will be able to learn this stuff, and it won't be as difficult to teach them some of the concepts, and they'll make progress, and the parents will be like, "Holy smoke! I can't believe my kid's like writing a computer programming. He's eight years old, or she's eight years old." Whereas like if you know we may or may not succeed if we had just a bunch of regular kids who may or may not have the interest, the attention span, or the ability. In which case, it's kind of like a Sort of worked or sort of didn't. So you, you were just showing me you got the uh, Galaxy. Well, yeah. What's it called? A Galaxy? It's a Nexus. Ne- I, th- I think it's the Nexus 7. Um, basically, the, a project that I'm working on that I can't talk about. Um, the, the thing that they're building works on these. Okay. And um, they sent me one. So I'm building it so that I can test it out. It's nice. I, I like that. Oh, they sent you that? Yeah, okay. they sent me that. Yeah. I, so it's this. It's mine this is the one free. you're doing with Matt and Corbin? Yeah. Yeah, cool. So, um, you know what? I, I really like the live desktops. Look, see, I, I found this live desktop for Google, and it's like it's like the Galaxy. Just you're, you're kind of floating through the Galaxy. It's pretty wow, awesome, isn't it? that is pretty awesome. <laughs> That's really cool. So, your iPad is twice the size or whatever, right? Yeah. I mean, I still I still prefer the iPad a lot. I mean, the, the, the basic um, responsiveness and... Just, just the feel of when you move things around the page, 
the way that Apple have all the physics in, you know, every time you let go of something, it kind of goes doing, you know? yeah. and it kind of feels very natural. Uh, the, the Nexus just, this, this operating OS doesn't have it. So when you scroll down a page, it, you scroll down and then it kind of gets to the end and it's like donk. Well, just kind of like a normal web page. Yeah, like a normal, your, like not, a normal web page. It doesn't but have the cute flourishes that, uh, it, do, it doesn't feel as tactile. It, it, it feels a little more functional. Uh, click into the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So cool. then choose like, uh, yeah, well, you don't have to, yeah. we don't want to. Yeah, you know, irritate people, but um, so yeah, because I'm thinking about I need to get I need to get something to read and read at night because you know I've as I talk about on the show I save all my articles during the day. Yeah, you print. <laughs> I print out a big list of them at night. Yeah, and I read them in bed because I I don't I I discovered that I mean not that I discovered but I know for a fact that I do not like reading anything substantial at the computer screen. Right. Yeah. Um, first of all, it's a waste of time. I need to be writing code and being being productive yeah so but a lot of times i'll, I'll, I'll read like a, a couple of paragraphs yeah right and then um and then i'm just i kind of burn out because i hate reading on the screen i hate and when uh, you're, you're either in lean forward mode when you're at the computer at your desk or i'm or you're in lean back mode well see this little tablet so, right here th this this is kind of smaller so if you were in bed you can't really lean it on your chest so you have to kind of hold it up although it's lighter than the ipad the thing about the ipad is you can put it in portrait mode, no, in landscape mode, and you can lean it on your chest, and there's or like that, and there's it's really easy to hold it and read. It's like um, holding a book. Yeah, it's like it, but it's it's even what? easier than holding a book in some ways because you don't have to hold the pages you, you apart. Do, yeah, you, exactly. Yeah. What about how heavy it is? Is it heavy? It, it it's heavy, but because you're just balancing it like that, it it doesn't feel like any weight at all because you just balance it directly up. What about upright. the heat? Is it hot? You know, like computer, you can relax. No, it's no, really there's hot. no heat. No, really. I don't. I don't get it. How much is a it. how much is the iPad cost? The iPads are expensive. It's like five hundred bucks. You yeah, know? I don't know. I, I might need to get one though because I'm. I'm just. Um, Plus I think the I'm, Retina display as well. I mean, it's beautiful to look at. Pretty easy to read on. Oh, it's it's like it's like paper that's got light behind it. It's almost as good as yeah. e paper, e ink. Yeah. yeah, it is almost as good. I'm as thinking e -ink. about it. I have a birthday coming up next month. Maybe I should give myself a birthday. Well, present. don't look at me. You need to <laughs> buy on. that for yourself. I had a birthday, Justin. That <laughs> would be really awesome. <laughs> Maybe texting listeners would like mm. to buy, would like to make donations, especially to Jason, for him to have an <laughs> iPad because, because, there's, and there's a good reason, because then he'll read more stories and talk about more interesting stuff for you guys on the show. I like that. I like how you're spinning that. Yeah. I don't know if they're really, they're going to buy it. I actually I like think that I mean, I need an iPad as well. You like, already have one. Well, I've got an iPad 1. Like, that's so old. I need a new Retina. I've, I actually think that our new funding goal <laughs> should be $1,000, <laughs> and we should have two iPads. <laughs> it's the iPad fundraiser. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the reason is, is so that we can bring great content to the texting listeners. I don't know. I think... Um, <laughs> I don't know. I do have a birthday coming up on September 30th, but... How old will you be? 42? Wow. That's the answer to life. Yeah, 42. That's right. I will be the answer. That you will be the answer the, to life, I'll yeah. Be the answer. Um, but uh, if right now, though, I'm, 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 um, I'm using all the donation money to buy stuff for the, for the, for the, for the kids. The science club. For so Catalyst. does that mean that if I keep the donation money that comes to me, I look like a really bad guy because I, I didn't give it to Catalyst? No, no. Yeah, I think it know. does. I guess, <laughs> I guess I'm going to look really, really bad if I do anything else with that money. You should go get drunk on it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> go drink some alcohol. Damn you. <laughs> All right, I'm going to have to have a think about that now. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. So, um, 
let's see. Well, you know, that's exactly why I was against um, having um, experts on any food. Uh, give all of their, uh, you know, whatever the, whatever you pay the expert goes to charity. Yeah, because it makes all the experts who are trying to work for income look like look jerks. Bad. Look like, like jerks. I look like a jerk now <laughs> because of what you did. I, I'm sorry, I didn't. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> I, 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 I feel bad now. I didn't mean to make you. I, I didn't even think about it, but I should have. I should have known that it makes you look like an ass. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> look we you know you know we don't have too long so um let's go what, what else do we got so well, one thing that i i actually wanted to bring up did you see that blog post about google self-driving cars are going to change everything no this although is, i watched that uh, there was a show about the darpa challenge that i watched with colby yeah a couple times he, he knows the whole thing he's like yeah he knows the team the red team and this well and well listen to what this guy says and this this is an interesting article it, it, it's actually a couple of weeks old but i still think it's interesting it's very provocative shall we say mm-hmm. so he's he's saying here's what's going to happen in the next 10 to 5 years it won't all happen right away 10 to 5 five, yeah, to, five to 10 years okay. yeah well you know how the way i get everything back, back to front right <laughs> okay the car in, the car insurance industry will cease to exist these cars aren't going to crash even if there are holdouts that drive themselves, insurance would be so expensive they couldn't afford it, as no one else would need it. That's one. Right. That's a big. That's a big deal. I mean, well, they're talking about. I, keep, I heard this on NPR the other day that they're putting these little uh, sensors in cars, yeah. and that or re- and if you put them in, it'll it'll it can tell if you're driving erratically or yeah. you're driving the speed limit and bank traffic laws, so that it will reduce your insurance if you put them on. So therefore, yeah. it's put pressure on everybody else to have these sort of driving nannies. In their car. Yeah, well, but, but... Right, but the same way, like, me using the donation money to buy, buy, buy stuff for the kids. Exactly, everyone it, else it, is going to look bad everybody if they looks don't bad. have so it. Now everybody has to know, so you don't want... Huh, so you don't want a little driving nanny in there. Yeah. What are you doing? You break, you speed, and you like, you know, running through stop signs, killing little kids, or you, you re, you know, downloading child porn and being a terrorist in your car. Okay, you so, so the next thing he says is, if, if the cars don't crash, then the auto collision repair and auto body industry goes away uh the car industry also shrinks because people don't have to replace cars so often uh-huh. so that's another thing he's saying so basically he's talking about um what's that word when uh, you compress a like, market yeah you basically sh- shrink ki- a market killing markets you right? shill a market sh- yeah. shrink a market which yeah which is a it's t- disruption it's like it's disruption. disruption when yeah. you shrink a market then it's a certain disruption yeah he says and this is a this is a good point long haul truck driving the whole industry ceases to exist Oh, because think, of, think of, of how much money truck driving companies will save if they don't have to pay drivers or collision or liability insurance. That's about three million jobs in the United States. I mean, it's it, actually that is a very, very important point because it's because for truck for the truck driving companies, basically, uh, what are they called? Um, logistical companies. Yeah, it's, they can just save so much money by just installing a, one of these Google drivers. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's huge. It's like you combine Uber with the Google driving car intelligence. Yeah, and you kind of solve. What? Yeah. By the way, Uber goes away. If you think about it, you don't need Uber anymore, or, or Uber is a different concept. Basically, oh, Uber just has robotic cars. Uber, Uber has robotic cars. It doesn't have real. Oh, people. Oh, trust me, Uber would ultimately love that, right? Yeah, I guess it's going to be right the, yeah. because then you don't have to worry about all of the. So the reason, one of the reasons that Uber partner has partner programs, so they they don't buy the limos or the or the. Uh, the town, the town cars, yeah, right. They 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 have partner companies, limo companies, or individual owners who own their own town car and have their own licensing because they deal with their own background checks yeah, and licensing yeah. and stuff. Although Uber does do a, a a vetting process and they come in, they test them on stuff and interview everybody. So I don't want to give people the wrong impression, but it's still there's still a lot of sort of headache that these these uh, companies have to deal with. But I guess 
if, if say 10 years down the road, you could just have a fleet of sort of like electric cars, kind of Prius type or, or Tesla type of electric cars that are robotic. That would, that would be much more, there'd be much more margin for them. So then he goes on to say, on that note, no more bus drivers, taxi drivers or limo drivers. So all those jobs are gone. Well, I don't know about buses because it still be much cheaper to ride a bus. A lot of people still can't afford, won't be able to afford that. I mean, a no, lot of people, no, no, but people what, take public transportation. But he's talking about the technology. Basically, what he's saying is, he's saying oh, that the drives, people who drive buses. Yeah, yeah. All the people who drive buses, like it, it, once transportation is completely roboticized, is that a word? Yeah. <laughs> but that, I mean, that like it makes, he, he's really talking about all these industries that can well, collapse. The same thing goes with pilots. Right. I mean, right. they actually have they, there was actually I think I brought that up as a subject a month or two ago where um, one of the uh, I don't know if they outfitted it was uh, I don't know if it was outfitted like an F-22 or it was a special plane that was built for it. But it was completely yeah. um, self flying. It wasn't it wasn't a drone where we have a drone operator. It actually would it actually had controlled its own its own movements. Wow. So then, of course, you get away with all of uh, pilots. Yeah. All commercial pilots. Yeah. And fighter, particularly fighter pilots. And bombers and all that kind of stuff all becomes robotic. So now he says, meter maid's gone. Why spend 20 bucks on parking when you can just send the car back home? Mm -hmm. Right? Um, There goes 40 million in parking revenue just to the city of Vancouver alone. Well, they could charge money for cars, for robotic cars to operate in their city. Yeah, Dude, to, these cities, they'll, all, they'll, cities and states and find always find a way to charge a tax. <laughs> oh, don't worry about that. They can, there's a million ways to tax. Um, and then he goes on to say, think of how devastating, I say, I'm not sure I agree with this. Think of how devastating it will be to the car industry. People use their cars less than 10% of the time. Imagine if everyone in your city used a robot taxi instead uh, at uh, 60% utilization. So he's saying, because, it, because you can use the same car, families can share cars, you know, so there'll be a lot less cars sold is what he's well, saying. Well, if, if, if it got to the point where it was mostly robotic cars, there'd be so many of them available. The supply and demand would be so good. It'd be just like with Uber, right? When I go into San Francisco, I wait on average five minutes for a car, three minutes, which is, in the city is way easier than walking to a parking deck and getting your car and everything like that. It's, um, it would, it's slightly longer than, say, here in Pasadena, I just walk down to the garage and get into my car. But if it was like two minutes, just like, just like Uber, I just click a button and say, pick me up, and I walk out front and I get into it. But I don't have to worry about car insurance or maintenance or Could space. you imagine how much car insurance? I mean, let's, let's say that 80% of, of cars on the road were self-driving. Think about how much car insurance. Would I think be that's a good be. number too. I think twenty percent of the people just like to drive and are just going to drive. Like yeah. It'll be for quite. I mean, at some point, it might get to the point. Maybe a couple of generations down the road, where people just don't drive, just like people live in New York or London, yeah. just don't drive. Yeah. Um, but there's always going to be people who live out far away, and it's just you're too far away from city centers. It's not convenient. There's just not enough capacity. There's just there's not, there's not enough demand for there to be enough supply. And so you're always is they're always too long of a wait, and people are driving more. I guess comparatively speaking, that means that car insurance will be five times more expensive than it is today. Why? Because there would be 20%, only 20% of those people paying. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't think in a smaller country that has car insurance, that their car, their car insurance is five times more. I just think that as long as you have enough to offset the cost. I mean, he's, I, you're kind of comparing that to like um, health insurance so that like you have a lot of people in health insurance, therefore it's lower. The problem is the, the, the difference is that 
that argument is usually made when you talk about you need to get the young, healthy people to get yeah. their health insurance because you don't have all these kids in their twenties um, and early thirties and stuff. People who are who are healthy rarely go to the doctor, um, rarely get anything more than uh, you know catch the flu for a couple of days or whatever. Um, those people aren't on insurance. It's all the people who are older and sicker, and so you don't have the balancing of of uh, healthy and sick people, and that's why you know um, all these big sort of like health programs, all these kind of governmental health programs are trying to like, let's, how do we get everybody in to pay for that? You know, not saying I'm against or endorse or whatever. I'm just saying that's, that's the theory, right? So that's, that's the same thing with, um, car insurance. I mean, so with this, I think, yeah, even if it's 20%, as long as the 20% weren't all crazy drivers. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't think just because people want to drive doesn't mean they're crazy drivers. Some people just like drive. Like I like to drive. So can you foresee a future where 80% of the cars on the road are self-driving? Yeah. Yeah, I can. I can because the benefits are so huge to ha- for, to have self driving cars. There's so many benefits that it seems an inevitable march of progress. And I'm I'm just very impressed that Google have have managed to think of something like that. Yeah, it's to, a big to deal. Something like that. Yeah. And well, I think for like like for us, like we might we have two cars. There's the primary car, which is the crossover, which is what which which has three rows you know because we have with car seats and kids you need to have with, with three kids you'd have to have you have to have two rows for them because you can't have three car seats yeah so we have that car but we have to have a second car and it's just a smaller car because whoever whoever's taking less than two kids takes the smaller car yeah right which we just lease so it's yeah. a 200 a month lease little mazda i would just if, if we had something like uh like that i, I wouldn't even you wouldn't need the second car no, i just use thing assuming it was assuming an aggregate I mean, do you drive for the pleasure of driving or do you drive to get places oh i don't go out and like let's go for a drive no but when i do it i enjoy it like i enjoy driving assuming it's not traffic i have fun driving i, I guess that a lot of cars would either be have the option of being self-driving or being you know you can drive them in the first yeah, place probably like yeah. the, just like a lot of times when people talk about the future, they, they it's like an all or nothing. Yeah. Everything's totally replaced or this other thing is killed off. Oh, man, people still use record players. Yeah, yeah. Right? Exactly. In fact, there's been a renaissance in people who are true audiophiles and they yeah. go back and, you know, people people still use, uh, listen to the radio, even though other people are like, oh, I'd used everything on my iPod. I mean, these things don't go away. It's yeah. just they replace a certain segment of it. Maybe it's a majority. Maybe for maybe it's still just a minority for a while. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a it's a it's a small portion of the market, but a lot of these things continue to exist. There's always the holdouts and the hipsters and the and the and the niche markets that like something the way it was. You Do you know? think it would if if eighty percent of the cars on the road were robots that it would fix traffic flow issues? Would probably improve it quite a bit, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know a lot about this. This is see, this is the kind of stuff I could do in Catalyst. Like, like let's do queuing problems, right? Yeah. Little computer programs, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's stuff like it's called the queue. It's called there's like a it's a queuing problem. There's sort of mathematics around it, like traffic and stuff. You have catalysts on the brain. You're just finding ways to bring the discussion back. Well, no, I don't. I mean, I just think that like anytime <laughs> you bring up some kind of cool mathematical or scientific thing, yeah, you can you can write computer programs to explore it and play with it, which is. Yeah. Why, why I want them to program because then all of a sudden you things that have become purely theoretical be, can become games or things that you build. All right. Well, do you have you anything before we um, last, yeah. close up? Yeah. Yeah. Last thing, uh, the last article, I'm just kind of looking through. It looks like we hit everything. Oh, there's two small things. I'm going to go through them quickly. One was WebRTC with a real, with a, it's kind of like, it's a, it's a part of, I think, the HTML5 spec. So what is, what is WebRTC? Well, essentially, I don't, quite get how this works but it's browser to browser so like peer to peer peer to peer so like my browser go to your browser without hitting a uh a server yeah unless you have static ips i'm not sure how that works unless 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe when your browser turns on, even if you're using a dynamic, uh, dynamic HP, you know, DHCP or whatever, is that what it is? Dynamic H- dynamic IPs. Yeah. That you your browser turns on just like with TeamViewer, and it says, "Oh, here's your like ID," right? Yeah. And then and then um, my browser can find your browser pretty quickly and lock in if I know your ID. Mm-hmm. You know, must be that. Yeah, there's got to be some central clearinghouse like, a, you know, like these IP servers or, or whatever. Um, but it, it, I, I can imagine it having a lot of effects, um, making a lot of new businesses possible, I guess, making the next wave of things like Facebook or whatever, you know, certainly social networking. That's more like just totally live and real time. between they, people. They, they say they should have 50 percent browser penetration in three to four months. That's pretty huge. Well, it's, it's partially because uh, uh, like Chrome kind of auto updates. Yeah. And Chrome has a huge market. As I think it's bigger and than Firefox. If Firefox now. does it as well, Firefox will do whatever Chrome does. So Firefox and Chrome, and that's pretty much that, that's fifty percent of the market, right? Yeah, and I think now because um, because IE is an also ran now that they have to they have to like they can't just sit on their butt and be like oh, we're not going to do this or we're not going to do that because you know these additional browser technologies are going to cannibalize our desktop. Yeah, you know um, advantage. That they they can't really play the game if they want their browser to stay in the market at all. Yeah. So they have to kind of get. So they kind of have to tap. You know, come along. So yeah, this stuff is just going to go faster and faster when you have companies like uh, you have you know, when you have Google pressing forward on it. So yeah, I think it's cool. They were talking about one thing. They're saying is like you share you share live audio and video streams and would kill Skype, likely. Yeah, that which which in a way would be good because Skype has bad aspects to it. Yeah, it's, it's it's pretty good, but it's not great. You know, you know what I've been using. You know what I like about it as well is it brings focus back to the desktop because everyone's been talking about oh, mobile, 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 but actually doing something cool and cutting edge like this in the desktop could bring a resurgence to investment and thinking about desktop computing. Yeah, I think you know, I mean, mobile is new, so people are excited about it because they do all these amazing things that weren't possible before, but. I mean, there's always a huge, there's always going to be a major role for lean, lean forward mode with a keyboard, even if it's a light, small thing like a netbook or, you know, MacBook Air or something like that. You just really need something that you can, uh, has a decent sized screen and a keyboard to get anything. You can't spend all day looking at a mobile. That's just consuming mostly. It's consuming consuming, and light can, and, and communication. Yeah. Whereas sitting at the computer, computer, it's work and it's creation. You're creating things, whether it's documents or presentations or writing code or art or CAD design or whatever. You're lean forward mode. Did you see that blog post that that guy wrote about? I'm sorry, I'm interjecting here. He, he wrote about meeting the guy who invented computers. In a, yeah, in a like how he got served or how he was, I can't remember how he put it, but how he got taught a lesson or whatever. Like he walked into like a cafe and yeah. turned out the guy who kind of invented modern Yeah, and and the the main thing the guy was saying was that because devices are all consume only, Mm -hmm. that it stops creativity. It it makes a huge, it basically makes a massive difference to the amount of creativity and new stuff that people do. Like it's sort of like a dumbing down of computing, which it had to go through to become an appliance anyway. Well, here's the reality. I mean, it's it's sort of the power curve. Only a small percentage of people create, and then a, a and a maybe a an order of magnitude more people critique and then everybody else just passively consumes, whether it's blog posts, whether it's writing blog posts, commenting and reading, yeah. you know, or whatever. I mean, it's, it's the same kind of, you know, law. And, uh, but you're right. I mean, you know, the, about, about the idea of consuming, creating like the, the original computers all came with basic, like 
there weren't that many programs, so people would pro- would, would write programs. Like that was yeah. a big part of it. Like you, if you had a computer, kind of meant to a large degree that you're writing you're, code. You're a programmer. Yeah, you're writing yeah. simple, that's basic nuts. programs. That's nuts, isn't it? That's, Which is, that's awesome. But you figure the people who did get the original computers were either technical, technically minded people, or power users. Kind of just, they might not be programmers or engineers or scientists necessarily, but they're just generally smart people who wanted to experiment with stuff. Your power user type. And they could write program, they could write simple basic programs and later they use things like HyperCard and whatever. But yeah, those, but then when it got, when it went really to full mass adoption, those people probably were never going to write code, even if you had. Yeah. An Apple, they yeah. were never going to write code. So it doesn't matter. They're just making the experience of using computer more productive for them which is ultimately in consuming and communicating. Yeah. Wow. I just made, it meant something so different to use a computer in the early days than it does now. It was like a, it was like owning a model T or something like a Ford model T that you went and polished the weekend. Like it was just this, this whole experience. Mm-hmm. Now it's just, we take it for granted, you know? So, um, did did you read about the part that the article about how um, the Disney Disney is using these face recognition cameras? No, I didn't. So there's an article in the Guardian uh, by uh, Naomi Wolf. She's sort of one of these activists. Yeah, uh, she writes a lot about this kind of stuff. And so it turns out that like some people had emailed her about you know how he one guy had emailed her. He was like a he was like with his kids or something, and they're on a ride and they get off and the Disney says, "Hey, do you want a picture?" You know, and it had his name, you know, yeah. John Smith. Would you like a picture of your family? Hey, John, you want a picture? And he's like, I, how do they know my name? What What's going on? So they used um, face recognition to to do it. And it turns out that it's by a company called uh, Identix, which has a bunch of government contracts for identifying people in a crowd. Oh, wow. And so this guy was kind of like, obviously felt a little like his yeah. privacy invaded. Yeah. Like, this is really kind of shocking, right? And um, it kind of reminded me of this other thing that I was reading recently. Um, have you heard about Trapwire? Well, it's a, apparently, you remember Stratfor? Stratfor, yeah, okay, yeah. which we talked about, they were hacked by Anonymous. There was like one of these sort of, you know, intelligence agency, intelligence companies that gathers strategic intelligence-like information from around the world. So that stuff, WikiLeaks has published a lot of their information and uh, a lot of their emails, like just, just reams and reams of their emails. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the things that they talked about in there, and it was between an email between a couple of the senior senior people was that you know these this Abraxas technology i mean this trapware technology is um you know in a number of different cities now it's like in seattle and dc and new york and some other places and it's a it's a private company but it's a lot of uh, municipalities and, and agencies yeah. are using it and it, it is the face recognition stuff it's crazy and it can bend you down to who you are who you are right and they and, and they and they were talking about how a lot of them went up at these places where the occupy movement was so if you're out there to just a protest yeah. An Occupy protest, a peaceful they, they Occupy protest. Know. They're they going to know who know. you Okay, so you're Justin Vincent. So, you know, you go to the next time you go to the airport, you know, okay, well, they know they have a file on me. They know that I'm a protester. Yeah. You know? So then it's going to it's gonna ding you. It's going to like, okay, check, search this guy. Yeah, yeah. You, you just nuts. never know. And, and one of the things they said in the, in, the, in the email, which was kind of freaky, is they said, we're not so worried about terrorists isn't such an issue. It's the activists because activists are everywhere and they're always around. Yeah. So it's like, even 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 Trapwire is is aware that it's it's more towards activism and and dissidents and protesting than it is at really terrorism. That sucks. So, I, you know, all this stuff kind of plays in. These are two totally different articles: the Trapwire and the and the and the and the identic stuff. But uh, I don't know. Just uh, 
Another letter from the dark side. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> All right, you ready? I got, a, I got one more topic I'm going to hit because we got to get out of here. Okay. Last thing. So there was a, uh, or is a paper was called Enhancing the Efficiency, the, uh, the Efficacy of Teacher Incentives Through Loss Aversion. And this was done by three um, economics professors, uh, one from Chicago, U, U Chicago, one from Harvard, and one from UCSD. And essentially what they discovered was that if they, if they um, gave a bonus to teachers at the beginning of a school year, like a um, like a four thousand dollar bonus, and if they're, and then they said if your kids have a certain percentile increase throughout the year, then you get to keep your bonus. Otherwise, we take some portion of it back. Like you have to pay back what percentiles improvement they don't reach. Yeah, right. You know, and uh, it wasn't very small. So essentially, they got it was each percentile that the kid improved was worth a certain amount. Yeah, and I think if they you know made. Somewhere in like the five to ten percent range. So basically, you're losing money if you don't do well, right? Yeah, it turned out that they they were significant gain, like up, up to like around I think they said around ten percent gain on average. Wow, up to around that ten percent. So ten percent gain, which seems pretty good percentile wise. I don't. This is amazing, but it's good because I guess if 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 it's the other way around and they say you will get this bonus at the end by bringing everyone up there by getting everyone up to that level. It, it doesn't feel the same as actually having it and stopping yourself from losing it. Yeah, that's what they call loss aversion. So that's a, that's a well-known uh, sort of economic and psychological effect. It's, 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 um, so they said there's, there's, there was no impact because they, they, they broke into three separate groups, a control group, yeah. and then, and then the, the, uh, the bonus at the beginning of the year, and then the bonus at the end of the year. Yeah. And there was no effect when it was framed as a gain at the end of the year. So at the end of the year, it made no difference. No, people, people are affected by loss aversion. That's why when it comes huh. to trading, when people have like, they behave differently when about, you know, losing money than making money. That's Upside and downside. You can play all kinds of interesting games with that about, um, and, uh, and you always have to be aware of yourself, how you're dealing with yourself. Cause sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll think differently about money you gained versus money you lost. And, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just a, that, is, that is interesting. I wonder, wonder if you could use that to your benefit with like a software as a service thing. So when people sign up, you give them something. And then if they don't keep using the system, Ooh. they don't keep using the system, you take it away. Well, here's what you do. It's like you only get charged if you don't use it a certain amount or you don't invite a certain amount of friends or friends. So it's like, here, we're, we're not charging you or we've, yeah, okay, we've charged you a certain amount, but then the next months are free. You, you charge the head. You charge the. You charge a head, but they but it becomes cheaper for them the more that they use it or something. Yeah, like that. Yeah, say like, wow, and so you tell them like wow, you're you know we're you know so if like let's say you charge them two hundred dollars to be in the year, two hundred fifty bucks. Let's say. Yeah. And then every month that they say, well, I invited two friends and I use this and I tweeted or whatever the heck it is that you want them yeah. to do, then oh wow, you just uh, you're going to keep this month. This much is locked in. You're not going to lose this month. You still have two hundred twenty dollars oh, no, at I, risk. You still have two hundred twenty dollars at risk. Thirty dollars is safe now. You don't lose it. I, I guess it's the other way around. You 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 let them come in for free, right. but but they but they stump up this cash, and if they don't use it, they, the cash it's gap gradually lost. gets lost and whittled away. Right, something like that. So, so so the benefit is is that it the kind of activities that you get them to do are network effect activities, right? Like tweet it, post it, or whatever. And right. if they don't do them, the cash kind of whittles away. I don't know, but yeah, yeah. Probably a good idea. Is that? Yeah, I think that's fine. I think it's like I say it's fine. But I think, well, I mean, I I think um, if you're going to charge anyway, yeah, and um, you know, yeah, it's kind of interesting though because you're charging people and then you're giving it back versus like we're giving you something. 
and they were taking it away. I don't know if it works the same way. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but uh, so the the thing the thing that that it, what thing it made me think of was that um, this was tested on lower performing schools. There was like it was large numbers, like thirty five hundred students. There was like a you know number of different school districts at a certain. They're all the same, like great couple grade levels or something like that, and um, like one hundred and fifty teachers I think participated. Um, and it said that, uh, but I remember reading a while back, it was sort of an op-ed or something written by a, a teacher who, um, she was like a math or physics teacher and she was teaching at a very top-notch school, high-performing school and was teaching like gifted or top of the, uh, top of the percentile kids. Yeah. And they didn't improve, which is because... They were already they're up already. There. I mean, they're already they're like already up there. at the very top percentile. They're an yeah. AP or advanced honors, whatever. Top. So it's yeah. just kind of they're like they're already kind of there. They already have the intrinsic motivation and the skill set to be at the top. Yeah. Well, it's like yeah, exactly. And it's it's kind of like we we talked about like the uh, the singularity is not coming, which is that you know it gets a harder and harder. The closer you get to your potential, the harder it is to get to improve. Yeah. So it's not it's not fair to measure a teacher. On improvement for the gifted or honors classes that his kids for uh, who are underperforming, you know, and it might be like because they have a huge room of improvement. It's like it's like it's like it's like if somebody walks in and they weigh four hundred pounds and like, well, you 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 know, if you get this person this person lose twenty pounds, we'll give you know you're huge. And I'll be exactly. all you have to do is get them to go and take a walk once a day for a few weeks and they'll lose twenty pounds. If I but if I if I came in to somebody who is like you know twenty pounds overweight and I said we're gonna lose all twenty pounds, I mean it's, it's that last twenty pounds is tough. The only way you could make an improvement for those kind of kids is with NZT or something like that. Is that was that what it was called NZT, from Limitless? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it NZT from Limitless? I think it was yeah. NZT. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's that's a nice uh, note to end on. Yeah. yeah. So have... what do we? Uh, I guess we're about out of time, right? Yep. It's about uh, about the ten to eleven. I'm gonna get out of here. So all right, that's a wrap. We're out. Yeah.